Well, good morning, Grace. My name is Jake. I am one of our other youth pastors here. Good to be with you today. Um, I just want to start by praying. So would you just pray with me? God, thank you so much for uh, just worship today that you have given us a place and a people where we can just come together and, and just worship and praise you, which is something we're going to get to do for eternity. And so, God, I pray that uh, through your word, through what we do today, that you will just continue to draw our attention, our worshipful attention to you. Speak now through your word, please. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to do a little activity with us to start, and it requires you to think and respond. If you don't, it's going to be really awkward, and I'm going to look really stupid. So, all right, get, so get ready. Okay, here's the game. It's called One Thing Necessary. I'm going to name an activity, and I need you to name the one thing that you think is necessary for that. Does that make sense? Okay, we'll start on a really easy one. What is the one thing necessary for skydiving? So, good job, guys. All right. You are all certified and ready to skydive. Good stuff. Uh, all right, let, let's make it a little more complicated. What is the one thing necessary for a day at the beach? All right, I've heard umbrella, bathing suit, sunscreen. I got to go with sunscreen. Like, you can swim in your clothes, but at least if you're me. It's necessary. Sunscreen. Uh, a little more complicated. A camping trip. What's the one thing that you think is necessary? Sleeping bag. Mike likes his comfort. Tent. We're not sleeping under the stars. Fire. I don't know how you bring fire, but yes, that is necessary. Um, I would have said insect repellent. I mean, bottom line, that is really my number one concern. One, one more, this is maybe a timely one. Uh, what's the one thing necessary for the first day of school? Backpack, good mindset. Way to go, polypaste student. Anything else? I would say a fresh outfit, right? Yeah, you need, yes, thank you. You, you gotta look good on the first day of school. For many things in life, there, there's often one thing that's necessary. Sometimes we might disagree on what exactly that is. Now, don't answer this out loud, but I wonder if, if the question was, what is the one thing necessary for a life with God? What's the one thing necessary to be a faithful disciple of Jesus? I wonder how you would answer that question. Belief. Today we're in the Gospel of Luke, and we've been in Luke for uh, quite a long time now, and we still have a ways to go. But this section that we're in right now is incredibly important. What we heard preached on last week, what we're hearing preached on next week, these are some of the absolutely most foundational parts of what it means to be a disciple. Does anybody remember what Will preached on last week? Yeah, the Good Samaritan. The point of that is there's two things that God asks for, love God and love others, right? That's like one of the most foundational basic truths of a life with God. Next week, we're going to hear Daniel preach on the Lord's Prayer. 
what it means to talk to God, what that looks like, something that Christians have done for 2,000 years all around the world. I mean, these are, are two of the most formative, uh, important things that tell us what it looks like to be a disciple. And that's what makes today's passage so interesting. Because right in the middle of the Good Samaritan, right in the middle of the, the passage of the Lord's Prayer, Luke inserts a little story. It's four verses, three characters, one living room. And in this story, Jesus is going to say the phrase, one thing is necessary. As we're hearing about loving God and loving neighbor, as we're hearing about what it means to pray to God, focus in on this, though. There is one thing that's absolutely necessary. One thing that is necessary for a life with God. And that's what we're going to focus on today. The one thing that's necessary. We're going to talk about what it is, what it isn't, and what it requires. What it is, what it isn't, what it requires. Sound good? Oh, okay, good. So you go ahead and open your Bible to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 38 through 42. Now, it's a short passage, so I'm just, I'm going to read it again. It says this, Now as they, that's Jesus and his disciples, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Depending on the translation you use, the wording there might be a little bit different. The point is Jesus is calling Martha right here that there's one thing that you need. He points to Mary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Our attention's being drawn to this idea of this one thing that's necessary. So the first question makes sense to, to ask is, well, what is it? And Jesus doesn't come right out and, and give us an answer. It's not like we're given a statement. Instead, we're pointed to a person. He says, Mary is the one to look to. And it's interesting in this story, Mary never says a word. She's just kind of there as the silent example of what Jesus is looking for. And Luke, he tells us what that is in verse 39. He says, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Martha is someone who sits at the Lord's feet and listens to his teaching. Now here's my guess is, when I said, what's the one thing required for a life with God, that probably was not the thing that came into your mind. Certainly, it doesn't come into my mind. 
I mean, it seems kind of weird and basic to sit at the Lord's feet. At least for me, I, I don't want to think about anybody's feet, not even the Lord's. So that certainly isn't the thing that's coming to my mind. But what's important here is Jesus is pointing us to a type of posture. Not literally like a physical posture. There's nothing actually significant about the fact that Mary is sitting down and listening, but it's what it represents in her heart. The posture of Mary's heart is this. It's a heart that's completely attentive to Jesus. It is a life that has given Jesus complete attention. I don't really know what this scene looked like, but the way I kind of picture it is that there's Mary in the house, and suddenly in comes Jesus and 12 disciples, who knows how many others, so many sights and sounds and, and probably smells all of a sudden enter into this room. But if I'm directing this scene, what I picture is all the noise just kind of fades away. Everything in the room kind of dims, and all Mary sees is Jesus. She makes her way to him. She sits. He has her full attention. The question is, well, why is that so important for a life with God? Why, why in between the good Samaritan and the Lord's prayer are, is our attention pulled to this? And it's because a life that is attentive to God is the thing that everything else is built on. We have a saying here at Grace that what we're trying to do is learn from Jesus how to live and love like Jesus. And the order there is so important because obviously what we're after is we want to be a people who live and love like Jesus. But to do that well, it actually first means we need to learn from him. We can't just go out into this life and figure it out on our own, but the first step to actually becoming like Jesus is just to give him your undivided attention. I remember when I was in uh, high school, I had a, I'd call a borderline obsession with this drummer named Buddy Rich. Anybody heard of Buddy Rich? Wow, I'm impressed. You are my friends. All right, he was like a jazz drummer from the, the 30s and 40s and 50s. Best drummer who ever lived. You can fight me about it. Believe me, he is. I became obsessed with him. And I knew, I, I mean, it was almost to the point of idolatry. It wasn't good. But I was like, there's one thing I want in life. I want to be a drummer like Buddy Rich. And I gave that dude my full undivided attention for like two years of my life. It's like, he has a white drum set. So when I bought my own drum set, guess what color it was? It was white. When I went to Guitar Center, there's all these different drumsticks. I'm like, I'm picking the Buddy Rich signature drumsticks. Right? I'd come home from school. I would open up YouTube and just watch hours and hours of Buddy Rich videos. To this day, if you play me a Buddy Rich solo, I will be able to like scat what's going to happen next. I like know it that well. Okay, if I'm in the car, I'm listening to Buddy Rich. If I'm in class, I'm doing some Buddy Rich solos on, on my table. He had my full, complete attention because I wanted to be like him. And so I, I, I cut out the other noise. I made it a point to, to just be with him. He's dead, so not really. But through YouTube, to be with him, <laughs> to pay attention to him, to learn from him. 
the posture of a life that Jesus wants, that everything else is built on, is a life that zones in on Jesus. That says, Jesus, you have my full attention. There is no way I'm going to be able to make sense of this life, certainly not this Christian life, apart from you. Only you have the words of eternal life. You have my attention. And so I wonder, what does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to sit and listen to your Savior? Remember, again, it's, it's really the heart posture that's significant. So the way we live that out takes different forms. For a long time in the history of God's people, attentiveness to Jesus, or more generally to God, took the form of a Sabbath. It's a day where all activity ceased so that we could be completely attentive to the God who's in our presence. For many Christians, for quite a few years now, there's the activity called Lent. It's a season where we fast from food or from other things so that we can immerse ourselves in Scripture and hear what he might want to say. For most of us, it probably just looks like a daily quiet time. 30 minutes before the rest of the house is awake, an open Bible, probably a cup filled with coffee, and a heart that's just open to hearing from him. Regardless of what form it takes, what Jesus is after, the the thing that will actually allow us to love God, love neighbor, to learn how to pray to God, is first and foremost, attention on the person of Jesus and his teaching. How's your attention to him? Now here's the thing, it's, that's simple. It's not complicated. It's not like, well, to be my disciple, you need to go out and get 10 more disciples and then you're in the club. It's simple, he's saying, give me your attention, but it is so extremely difficult. Can I get an amen? amen? Is that true? It is so difficult, and I think God knows that. And that's why the story doesn't end here. Because if Mary represents what is ideal, I think the honest truth is that Martha represents what's probably real most of the time. If Mary represents what it is, what it looks like to do this one necessary thing, Martha represents what it isn't. And I think we need to see that too. So let's look at Martha. Now, let me say first, it's not hard to picture what's going on in Martha's mind. Now, I have never been an ancient Near Eastern woman, contrary to popular belief, so I don't actually know what was going on in Martha's mind. But I know what would be going on in my mind, and probably your mind too. If Jesus walked into my little one-bedroom apartment with at least 12 disciples, many more, I can tell you what I would probably start thinking. My first thought would probably be this. Oh, when is the last time I cleaned the bathroom? Oh no, okay, I need to do that. 
but also they're probably like really hungry because they've come a long ways. So like, well, okay, what do I have in the fridge? I have a couple frozen pizzas that might be enough, but probably not. Also like I wanna do something a little better. Maybe I can like make lasagna, but that means I have to go down the street to Ralph's. But also like I need plates to put it on. Okay, well I have some paper plates, but like this is Jesus we're talking about. Right, I, I don't know where your mind goes. I'm not actually that good of a host, but probably something like that. And it seems to be that's what happens to Martha as well. Luke simply puts it this way in verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted with much serving. Now here's a really important thing to understand about Martha that I think a lot of times that the church has gotten wrong. The problem with Martha is not what she is doing. A lot of times in the history of the church, Martha's been held up as this person who misses it because she has given her life to activity while Mary's given her life to contemplation. Right, Mary is a human being, Martha's a human doing. That's the problem with, with Martha. But I don't buy that because God calls us to a life of activity. I mean, literally, the passage right before this ends with the words, you go and do likewise. We are called to a life of action. To love your neighbor means you actually need to do stuff. It doesn't mean just moving off into the woods somewhere so that you can just sit and be with God in nature. No, I mean, we actually need to do stuff. And the fact that Martha switches into a mode of serving, I, I don't think that's the problem. After all, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. I don't think the problem with Martha is what she is doing. I think it's what she's not doing. Because as Martha serves, there's one thing that she's not doing, and it's being attentive to Jesus. Martha's not doing the one thing that Mary is, giving her attention to Jesus. Luke doesn't tell us exactly why that's the case, but I think he gives us a hint. It's one little word. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. I think what the Spirit through Luke is, is giving us a little insight that there's actually a lot more going on here than is necessary. Later, Jesus says to her, you are anxious and concerned about many things. You get the sense that Martha has set up this night in such a way that there's no possible way for her to be able to sit in the presence of Jesus. There's actually no possible way for her to be able to be attentive to him. There's just too much to do. It makes you wonder, if Martha had started by saying, well, the one thing I need to do, the one thing that absolutely has to happen is I need to hear Jesus. I need to make sure I'm paying attention to him. And then I, I need to do some meal prep too. It makes me wonder how that might have changed the way she constructs her night. 
But instead, it seems that Martha starts with what she thinks needs to happen and then figures, well, if there's time to listen to Jesus at the end of that, great. And we see the result is, it's unfortunate and it's pretty ironic. Because again, we just heard Jesus say that the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The irony is that Martha is so distracted, she winds up breaking both of them. Second part of verse 40, she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. See, rather than actually loving God and loving neighbor, Martha just winds up extremely frustrated at both of them. She's so distracted, unable to hear the words of Jesus, anxious and troubled, that rather than serving the God who she intended to serve, she just winds up being angry. Rather than serving the closest neighbor she could have, her sister, she winds up upset and trying to pull her from God's presence. Guys, distraction is dangerous. I'm really good at planning vacations. If you ever need a trip somewhere, come and talk to me. I'm really good. But I'm almost too good. Every summer, I, my wife and I go on a trip, and, and the irony is, my favorite part of every trip is just the quiet moments where Ryan and I sit down and play a game. Those are always the moments I look back on, and I'm like, that was my favorite moment of the trip. But what I do, I spend months planning every minute of the trip. I'm like, well, we have to get to the hotel by 8 p.m. because we got to get to bed early because we need to wake up at 5 a.m. so we can be at the edge of the Grand Canyon by 5.30 so that we can see the sunrise. And then we need to drive from there to the restaurant that opens at 8 and we got to be the first in line and blah, 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 blah. Right? And I can do this thing, some of you are laughing, maybe you're like me, where I'm all over the place and, and I construct a super really fun vacation, but sometimes I just miss my wife in all of it. You know, you could actually just remove her from the trip and it could proceed the same way because my face is so buried in a map and what's next that I'm not actually paying attention to the wife who I just want to be with. And ironically, my favorite moments are the ones where we just stop and I'm with her. I think, man, that's such a picture of what a life with Jesus looks like. There's one thing we need, and it's to be with him, to give him our attention. And when we do it, man, I feel like we often say, that's what I've been needing. But it's so easy to construct life in such a way that it's just impossible to actually do that. We give ourselves to the much and the many. We're distracted. If that's you... I want to say, well, I'm there with you. Uh, this was a very challenging passage to prepare for because I realized, man, I am not preaching this as Mary. <laughs> I'm coming to you as Martha today. And, and if that's you, if you're in a place where you're like, I, I, I want to spend time with Jesus, I can't even imagine where I could fit that into my schedule, though. There's a practice I would recommend. It's something that I've done before, something I'm intending and needing to do again. And it's this. For one day, 
keep track of every minute of your life. If you're able to do that, let me expand it. For one week, keep track of every minute of your life. If you wake up in the morning, you check your phone for 10 minutes, write that down. You get in your car, you commute to work for 30 minutes, write that down. You're preparing dinner, it takes an hour, write that down. Chart out every minute. This was something that uh, I, was, I was forced to do in seminary, a class a few months back, a few years back, and it was horrifying, but it was clarifying. Because really quickly I was able to see, oh, that's where the much and the many is in my life. Here's the ways that I've constructed a life that I want to spend time with God, but it's actually different. It's actually impossible. He's so distant. It became very clarifying. What are the things that, while maybe good and, and not bad, had just ballooned so out of proportion that there was no way Jesus had any space to get in? It also revealed the things that, you know what? No matter how hard I work, no matter what I, I do, these things need to stay in my life. I need to eat. I need to sleep. For those of you who are parents, you need to feed your kids. Jesus isn't going to pull you away from that. But it also invited a question, well, okay, if I can't remove that, what might it look to try to do that with Jesus? Distraction is dangerous. The one thing that Jesus needs, the one thing that's essential in the life of a disciple is our attention. But often we build life in a way that that's not even possible. But here's the good news is the story doesn't end there. And Jesus reminds us the fact that even though it's difficult, it is possible to live a life of attention to him. He reminds us of one more thing, what it requires. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha. He said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. That sentence is so important. Mary has chosen I think that reminds us of the fact that a life that is attentive to Jesus requires a choice. It's not just something that happens. To think that we can just go about life, we can fill up every single night of the week, we can join four different club sports teams, we can sign up for you know, 18 AP classes, we can work an 80 hour work week, whatever it looks like for you, and then, you know, somewhere in there, find time to be attentive to Jesus. I don't think that's realistic. Jesus says, Mary has chosen. She didn't just wind up at my feet. She had to make a choice for it to happen. There were some things that she actually first had to say no to. And the text doesn't really uh, say it directly, but we know for sure that there were some pretty hefty expectations of Mary in this situation. In a lot of ways, the last place that made sense for her to be was at Jesus' feet. First of all, as a woman, 
Rabbis didn't have female disciples. A woman would never be sitting at a rabbi's feet. More than that, as, as a woman who was in the, the position of a host, a culture that valued hosting immensely, the last place that would have made sense for Mary to be is just sitting there. She should have been with Martha. There was so much she should have been doing. And I can only imagine the pressure that pressed in on Mary. But Mary made a choice. She opened herself up to misunderstanding, to ridicule, even to the judgment of someone else because she knew there is one thing that's necessary for me. And I'm choosing that. And one of the things that just bothered me so much about this sermon or about this passage as I was preparing my sermon is it doesn't have an ending. It just stops. I don't know if you've ever watched a TV show and then like the last episode ends and you're like, what the heck? Right? I need more than that. But I don't think this is by accident. Obviously, the question that I have, probably the question that you have is, well, what did Martha choose? Right? Mary's made her choice. What does Martha choose? But I think that's the wrong question. I think the reason this is open-ended is because actually the most important question is not what Martha chose. It's what are you going to choose? 2,000 years later, this story is still playing out in our cars, in our living rooms, even in our churches. We are still called to a life of attention to Jesus. And distraction makes it so difficult. And so like Mary, we're given a choice. My question is, well, Grace Long Beach, what's our choice? What are we giving our attention to? There will always be more things to do. There will always be more shows to watch. There will always be very good, necessary, important things in life. But Jesus says, there's one thing I need. That's your attention. But I just want to end by saying this. The good news is that we will fail. Not that we get comfortable or we're okay with that, but the fact of the matter is, Martha's not the weird one in this story. Mary is. It's hard to be Mary. And so many times, we're going to wind up like Martha. And this is a passage that should be convicting, but not condemning. When Martha, who's so distracted, just brings all of her anger and, and confusion to Jesus, Jesus doesn't kick her out. Jesus doesn't say, oh, Martha, you idiot. You're so concerned with being a host, you've missed the Lord of hosts. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but I'm calling you to something better, something that's good.
Oftentimes we're distracted from Jesus, but Jesus is not distracted from us. He is there sitting, waiting, and simply excited for the fact for us to come and to give him our attention. The Lord who has made us his portion simply wants us to make him our portion. So Grace Long Beach, let's do that. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for thank you for a story. In the midst of uh, some of the most important truths of what it means to follow you, thank you for the reminder that what you really just need from us bottom line is is just to look to you to be attentive to you, to pay attention to you. So God, I pray that uh, you would help us to do that right now. Even if it's just in the smallest way, help us to move into the living room and just sit down at your feet. Amen. We're actually gonna have a space in our service right now just simply to sit and listen. The band's gonna play some um, instrumental music. And all I encourage you to do is, is just to be open. Ask Jesus what he might wanna say to you. That may mean opening up a Bible and reading, it might mean sitting in silence, whatever it looks like. If you don't know what to do, uh, there's three questions, which hopefully that slide will work. We're having problems with it. Three questions are just simply this. Lord, what keeps me from sitting at your feet? Mary was distracted by much. She was pulled in many different directions. What is that for me, Lord? Lord, what has me anxious and troubled? What stirs me up so much that I'm, I'm, I'm angry at you, I'm angry at the people around me? And finally, Lord, what would it look like to choose the good portion this week? What's one simple thing I can do just to make some space to sit at your feet? So if those questions are helpful, pray those. If you want to pray something else or read, go ahead and do that. The point is this. We have a few minutes just to sit at the Lord's feet. So take advantage of it.